Love could be a suffocating thing. Guys, may I propose a toast to those who have departed? I can't work. We are the new generation of wealth. Women should have put on the jelly. We've done everything. We're bored. That's why they keep doing dumb shit on their turns. Cheer up. No matter what happens, we take care of each other. That's bad, right? Let's go. This can't be happening. Lulu, you need to stay calm, okay? So a foreign spy, There's only one way to find out what we are. You notice we're not turning into ash? Bite me. You needed this, little. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of Fresh Cuts. I'm Mike, and joining me as always, it's Mr. Venom. How are you doing, Venom? Greetings and salutations, billionaire bloodsuckers. Though I don't know how many of those would be listening to us right now. They probably got better things to do if they're eternal and have a billion dollars. But anyway, I'm doing really well, Mike. How the hell are you? <laughs> well, according to the movie we just watched, they might not have anything better to be doing. But, uh, yeah, we have lots <laughs> to talk about today. <laughs> yeah. All right. And with us, as well as always, it's Don and Ellie. What's up, Don? How are you? Yeah, what's going on? Uh, just trying to shake the cobwebs loose and uh, stay awake for this thing. <laughs> I mean, for. Yeah, man. Yeah, for being an it's, eternal. It, for etern for someone that's eternal, staying awake is staying awake through this thing is probably one of their biggest challenges. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, having a week off was weird because usually, other than like we sometimes take the end of December off to like you know catch up on any missed watches. We don't uh, really miss that many during the year, so it was like wow, yeah, use the extra time wise. We didn't really technically miss a week since we did have the extra episode. True. We had a week off. True. The listeners. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Episode wise, no week off just for us to not record mm. for about a whole week. Um, okay. Well, with that, we will get right back into uh, the normal routine. For this episode, we chose, and I, I want to say maybe it was Don's suggestion, uh, Dead and Beautiful, which is... Uh, Venom... Yeah, Venom suggested it, and then as soon as I said it was Asian, I think that was—I think he confirmed <laughs> it. 
So, like I said, Venom's uh, choice. <laughs> this is uh, streaming on Shutter. It's billed as a Shutter original, but that's probably just distribution. Do not. I don't think they produced or like made it or anything. Um, it is called Dead and Beautiful, running at about an hour and thirty-eight minutes, and directed by David. I guess it's Verbeek. Verbeek. Yeah. <laughs> Verbeek. I don't know. Have you guys looked into anything he's done that's notable? Nothing notable. I, 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 I checked. Yeah. He's, a, he's a young filmmaker. He graduated from film school in like 2005 or six, and I think he only has like three features. And you know, they're all kind of Asian themed, like this one is. They're all English language, but they're kind of all Asian themed. So kind of weird. Okay. <laughs> All right, well, um, the synopsis for this is a group of young and spoiled rich kids turn into vampires after a night out, changing the course of their lives and driving a wedge between them all. Interesting synopsis, I understand it, but uh, how accurate is it? We will get into that momentarily after general thoughts, but for now, I want to hear what you guys think. Um, so, Venom, general thoughts on Dead and Beautiful. All right. Well, let me start out with what I enjoyed. Um, the film is beautiful. It looks very, very nice. Um, this is definitely an example of style over substance. Um, we'll get into the substance here in a little bit, but at, at least stylistically, it is a very nice movie. Nice color palette. Um, you know, seeing a lot of the cityscapes both in, during the day and at night are really cool looking. Um, it, I think it's shot in Taiwan. So, you know, a lot of nice downtown districts and whatnot to show off. Um, the score, uh, actually is, it's a very nice score, kind of ethereal dreamlike. Um, I, I call it synth, but it's not like synth wave or like, you know, anything that, that a John Carpenter would do. It's almost more like a tangerine dream type synth, just very earthy, you know, um, nothing too frantic as far as music goes. So I did enjoy that. Uh, most of the technical aspects of the film are fine. There, I, I have no problem with the editing. I have no problem with the performances either. Like um, none of the actors in the movie made me roll my eyes or cringe at any line deliveries. So for whatever it's worth on a technical aspect, this movie is up to par with most. Now, having said all that, I fucking hate this movie. This was the most boring film I've watched this year. And I watched Lamb twice. And this thing just put me so to sleep. It's first of all, the movie starts with five rich kids and literally in the very first scene, they're at some kind of upscale restaurant. They're having some kind of reunion where the five of them, I guess, get together once a year and go on a little excursion. And um, so they're at this restaurant and, you know, it, it's a, it's a fairly, it, it's not ultra busy. There's like a few tables that are filled, but like across the room from our five main characters, there's another party uh, and they're drunk and loud and everything else. And for no reason, one of them just decides to get up and beat the, try to beat the shit out of all the guys at that party. And then they are kicked out of the restaurant. So obviously, you know, we're, we're seeing that privilege that comes from wealth right away literally in the opening scene then we get an almost comic book like intro for all five characters where it shows the family that they're all a part of and the family's net worth and the family that was worth the least amount of money of these five was worth like 3.4 billion dollars they were all billionaires now granted that's their parents money because these are all very young adults i'd say early 20s at most and um 
you know, so for the most part, their parents are all still alive. So they're all heirs, basically. But man, these are the most unlikable people. Like, I, I would love to speak to this director just to find out why did you decide to put spoiled rich brats in this fucking movie when they're the 1%. So you're alienating 99% of your potential movie viewing audience by sticking these unlikable, vapid, just pieces of garbage into this fucking movie. And literally within 10 minutes, I'm uninterested. I don't give a rat's ass what happens to any of these characters. Um, I, they're, they're just terrible people in general. Aside from being rich, they are terrible people in general. And none of them are likable, and I've said it before, and I'll fucking say it again, a horror movie needs to have uh, some likable characters in there. And mind you, when I say likable, I, I don't mean that you're rooting for them, that they're the protagonist. I mean, even a villain, somebody like Art the Clown, who, you know, is, is a very evil, awful character, is still likable because he has character, he has charisma you know people like evil clowns blah 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 that's what i mean by likable there has to be someone in the movie likable there is not one likable character in this movie i fucking hate every single person in this movie the story or what little that we actually get just devolves into something that i can't really talk about now during the non-spoiler section but literally once these kids wake up and they find that they have vampire fangs in their mouth. Literally, the movie is all downhill from there. They take what could have been a great little concept and they turn it into just, I don't know. I, well, I can't even say that. That would be a little bit of a spoiler. I was going to name another 80s movie that kind of did this, but I'll skip that for now. Um, yeah, all I can say is that this was one of the most boring horror films I have ever had the displeasure of sitting through. Um, the story, though, having the backbone of a good potential story is completely wasted because of these completely vapid characters that I don't give a rat's ass about. You know, I, I didn't even I couldn't even watch this movie in one sitting. I, let me tell you, folks, I said this during the pre-show. If it weren't for the podcast, I would not have finished this movie. I would have stopped at around 40 minutes. And and to let you know, like I said, I did not finish this in one sitting. After about an hour, I just felt my head spinning from the absolute boredom of the entire thing. And I had to like turn it off and put like Sleepaway Camp 2 on or something just to kind of wake me up. And then I finished it on another day. I finished the last like 40 minutes of it on another night. And honestly, I still regret going back to it and even finishing that last 40 minutes because uh, like I said, this movie just there's no stakes there's no sense of danger at no point in the film are any of these characters in any kind of danger of either getting caught as a vampire or doing something nefarious that they shouldn't be doing like there is nothing there's no suspense there's no just there's very little mystery i mean the only mystery in the whole movie is are they really vampires which of course we get our answer in the third act but Folks, I'm, I'm going to tell you that this is probably going to be the if there's one movie that I would tell people to avoid, this would be it just because this movie, I, I went ahead and watched the trailer afterwards. It's a beautiful trailer. It, 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 it gives off the neon demon vibes. If you guys remember the neon demon from 2015. 
a movie that a lot of people also accused of being style over over substance. But that movie has a hundred times more story elements to it than this piece of crap did. So I'm I'm going to leave my general thoughts at, at this, basically saying the technical aspects of the movie are all on point. But it's so goddamn boring, you're going to be pulling your hair out by the end of the movie asking yourself, why the hell did I watch this? So, yeah, this gets the strongest non-recommend I could possibly give. <laughs> I can't think of anyone who might enjoy this movie. And not to say that there aren't horror fans that might enjoy this, that enjoy the kind of style over substance thing. You know, maybe they kind of like the character study of it. But like I said, when you start with five billionaire heirs, I instantly check out. I don't give a rat's ass about those people. None of them have any good personality traits because ultimately these people were born into money. They didn't have to learn how to be social with other people because they're fucking loaded. They could pay people to come over and be their friends. You know, these people probably had no struggle at any point in your life and struggle builds character ultimately. And that's why, you know, we have the, this, this type of hate that we have for people like the Kardashians who are just rich for being rich. And, you know, it, it leads to bad feelings. And with this movie, it leads to me just absolutely hating it. It's, if I had to rate this, it would be an incredibly low score, well below the halfway mark. But yeah, I'm, I'm going to leave it at that. I am not a fan of this movie in any way, shape, or form. Next. So you're thinking like honorable mention just outside the top 10? Uh, just so outside far? my top 300. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, uh, I'll move it right along then to... Don, do you uh, have major disagreements with Venom so far? No, not really. Um, I actually probably almost thinking he likes this more than I did. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, this pretty much feels as if somebody binged watched the, an entire season of Keeping Up with the Kardashians and said, hey, let's give these dull, obnoxious, unappealing characters vampire abilities and see what happens. And... Uh, yeah, I couldn't disagree with anything he said. Um, even the positives, what little there were, because I almost forgot to note them when I was watching the film. Uh, yeah, uh, it it does look good. Uh, I do like the way that, you know, the nightlife comes alive. You do see, you know, a lot of some artistic and well-meaning shots, and you it, it looks good from that aspect. It's not something that I really pay much attention to, which explains why I kind of didn't really pay attention to it. But, oh, dear God, are these characters just so unappealing and uninteresting. I, I'm literally lacking in qualities to describe how dull and sleep-inducing this film is. Not only are these characters unappealing, the pacing to this is just so glaring and un uninteresting that even if something were interest something were to happen which i'm not going to reveal because that's kind of what we're here in uh general thoughts doing even if something interesting does happen it's so glacial and so bland that you're going to fall asleep and forget what happens five minutes five seconds after it, it occurs because there's just nothing interesting going on and whatever interesting is going on is completely is completely devolved in the, by the fact that these characters are just the most obnoxious, unappealing jerk asses you could possibly think of. 
calling them jerk asses is a complete insult to a person who's a jerk ass. Because I have no idea why any of these people were ever allowed out of the house without being beaten so badly that they required facial reconstruction surgery. <laughs> I mean, good God, if I was a person like this, I would seriously consider a consider third term abortion because I would have absolutely no doubt in my mind a second attempt is going to turn out better results. <laughs> I mean, good God. And I mean, the fact that they're vampires makes absolutely no change to any of them, even when they become vampires. That's the whole thing. If you're complete, if you don't change after becoming a vampire, what good is being a vampire? I, you have an aversion to sunlight that they were already doing anyways because they were partying until five in the morning. Like, <laughs> what's the difference in their lifestyle? There was none. You know, like Venom said, there's no change in what in their behavior. They still act like the same reckless disregard for humanity that they had before. It's just now they can pop someone's head open and drink their blood on the side of a, the side of the building or whatever. But we didn't even get that because. I mean, did you guys even forget that there was, like, almost no gore at all in this thing for any of their kills? Oh, no, I'm very aware. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, this is, like, one of the most completely bloodless vampire films I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And I I can almost, I, I can make a very strong case that this would probably be mislabeled as a horror film. Um, I was almost questioning why we were covering this at one point, because... I was completely baffled as to why this thing was being labeled as a horror film. So, yeah, um, I think Venom liked this more than I did. <laughs> I, the girls were cute, I guess. Kind I'm of. trying to think of positives. There's so few. <laughs> I know. Like I said, I, I almost completely forgot to take some. <laughs> so, yeah, that's uh, right. my that's my general thoughts. All right, so coming over to me, um, I don't think uh, I hated it as much as you guys, but I really didn't like it at the same time either. I, you know, I could not know for sure because obviously I didn't write it and I don't know the writer, haven't talked to the writer, but this really feels like a movie where the conclusion was thought up first and they tried to work their way backwards because one of my main issues with it is it just meanders once we kind of get the gist of what's going on once they wake you know it's already been mentioned once they wake up kind of from a specific night's events and we kind of get our setup of like okay this is what this movie is going to be about i was okay with it at that point wasn't terribly like like impressed or excited but at least i was like okay i get what this movie is going to be and then it just seems to be stuck in neutral for the remaining uh, running time until like you know halfway through the third act when we i guess we get our twist and then a secondary twist to that and it's like wow okay that's um, what you had in okay. store for us okay yeah. so i gotta ask mike uh, me and venom had a bet on this and i want this on the podcast how many <laughs> sittings did it take for you to get through this <laughs> did you finish this in one sitting come on be so, honest uh, no, I did finish it in one sitting, but ah! that's also because I have, you know, when I watched it, I had uh, other stuff going on. But, um, yeah, well, good thank goodness I did finish it in one sitting because, A, I probably wouldn't have had time to watch it again. B, I probably wouldn't have wanted to and I would have been dreading having to yep. watch it again. 
so fortunately i made it through in one sitting um but yeah this movie it's it's paced really slow and i've said many times before i can deal with slow burn slow pace if what we get at the conclusion kind of knocks us back right and makes it worth it and you understand what they were building for the problem with this is it just really goes nowhere and i feel like they try to throw in some like social commentary, which we'll get into at the end. And they even try to, I think it's only a very brief flash, kind of like a flashback to one of the characters, child's childhoods where uh-huh. I think I get what they were going with, with the whole vampire thing and what it was really a metaphor about or for, which we can get into during spoilers. But other than that, man, it just felt like a very inconsequential movie. And by the time the credits roll, I mean, I guess at the very, very, very end, there's a question about what that character did on the beach. But other than that, it just, man, there just wasn't a lot going on in this movie. Um, I'm not sure who this audience is for because it's not, mm-hmm. there's not enough horror for horror fans, but then for like, drama or a younger crowd i think they would just be bored by it um yeah and i agree like unlikable characters you know i don't have it as as a tough stance on that as venom but in this one more than unlikable i just felt they were like also boring characters there just wasn't much to them not not much for me to be just interested in anything about them because i can be interested in unlikable characters I just don't like when they're not interesting. And, and to me, nothing really differentiated like each character from each other yep. either. That was the other problem I had. It was like usually even with a group of friends, you know, they somewhat are established like, okay, this is this type of person. This is this type. And they're all like a ragtag group of friends. And here I felt like any character could have just exited and it wouldn't have mattered because, well, I have five more of the same exact person still left. Um, so to me, that was an issue. Um, and then it's like, okay, the twist comes in. Okay. Obviously we see what they did with it, but was it really that interesting? No, (laughs) it wasn't. And I also kind of feel that once we learn the twist and they kind of show like how everything went down it seems kind of far-fetched like i know they're rich and they have the resources in theory to do something like that but still it feels very uh, like ridiculous that premise to begin with um but anyways yeah that's probably my general thoughts for now so venom i'll kick it back to you i mean pretty much everything i have left to say is really going to be negative i mean i i have very little positive uh, to say about this movie uh, from a storytelling standpoint. You know, we've already talked about the technical aspects. They're fine. They're they're maybe not stellar necessarily. Like we're literally a, a week or two removed from last night in Soho, which blows this movie away as far as style goes. As far as storytelling goes, forget about it. Not even in the same ballpark, but at least stylistically. Um, Last Night in Soho was just a much more visually pleasing film as opposed to this one, even though this, as I've already said, there were some really well made shots, some cool slow motion stuff, you know, some cool scenic shots, things like that. But uh, ultimately, the only thing this movie has going for it is its technical aspects. I just 
liked very little about this movie. I said that the concept of these rich, the spoiled rich kids waking up as vampires has potential. But the more I think about it, I, I, I just any storyline with spoiled rich kids just instantly disinterests me. You know what I mean? I just don't really have the desire to sit and watch a movie about, you know, these spoiled brats who've had money their entire lives, didn't have to work for any of it. It's one thing if these were self-made billionaires, that would be different. If these were people that started from nothing and built up a business or helped their parents build up a business that made them billionaires, that's different. These kids were all born with silver spoons in their mouths. I mean, one of the kids is a Vanderbilt. They've been rich for over 100 years. So, you know, it, it just tells you that these are the most spoiled rich kids possible, which, like I said, instantly makes them unlikable. Then we get the kind of weird, like, comic book slash UFC type intro where we get their family's um, stats, uh, their, their financial worth, basically. And it just makes me hate them even worse. You know, to see that one of them is one of their families is worth. Well, like I said, the Vanderbilts uh, in the movie, it says they're worth thirty four point seven billion dollars. It's like that, that's an amount of money that's almost unfathomable. Well, wasn't there alone. one that was I thought one hit 100. I thought one hit 100. I don't think so. I think one was thirty four billion. One was eight. One was three. I know Lulu's was the one that said unknown. Yeah, um, I could have sworn the last one though was around a hundred, or maybe well, I'm just misreading. Maybe I'm just misreading the thirteen. Maybe that was what I was. Possibly, yeah, because Lulu maybe. was the last one, and she was the one that was unknown. The Wong yeah. family, unknown. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe I was just misreading the thirteen yeah. and a half. Now that you say it, I, 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 I could have sworn. I mean, it's possible. I, you know, I, I, I don't have the the most perfect memory. I got a damn good one, but not necessarily perfect. But ultimately. You know, they, they, they're all billionaires. They're all billionaire heirs anyway. And when they showed the stats on Lulu Wong, I thought, oh, they're not telling us what the family's worth. There's going to be some kind of story behind that. Mm, not really. <laughs> they just kind of leave it dangling. It's like there, there was no real reason to say unknown. I was thinking that for them to say unknown, it was going to be one of two things. It was going to turn out that they're actually worth like trillions you know, because of whatever illegal things, or it was going to turn out that they're actually poor, that they used to be billionaires, but maybe they lost their money in bad deals here and there, and that a Lulu is just hiding the fact that her family aren't quite billionaires anymore. But nah, it's literally just a dang dangling plot point. They never really explain why they say unknown, but there it is. Um, so yeah, and, I mean, yeah, oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say the fact that that's the only info that we get other than their name. Because yeah. it introduces their name and then net worth. Like, that's the only piece of information we get. Like, that's supposed to make it better that the only thing we know about them is their family net worth. Yeah. This is why I would love to have a conversation with this director. Just to, uh, you know, not to get uh, get on his case or anything like that, but just to ask, like, what was the motivation for making these? Like, I'm wondering if the director himself is a rich kid. And maybe he was trying to tell a story from a different angle, from a different viewpoint, you know? We, we don't usually get um, horror movies from rich people. You know, we get the occasional Ready or Not or something like that. But for the most part, 
we don't see horror through the lens of billionaires. And after watching this movie, I never want to watch a horror movie through the lens of billionaires ever again, because this just completely turned me off to what really could have been a, a pretty good story. Like I said, if these if, maybe if these five people would have learned, you know, humility, civility as the movie went along, you know, like an actual lesson, like there's no character arc in this movie. Literally, most of these characters are in the exact same place at the end of the movie that they are at the beginning of the movie. There's no arc whatsoever. There is an arc for one character, which we'll kind of get into at the end. But yeah, there's just no stakes. There's no there's, you know, no sense of danger, no sense of mystery. Um, it, it's just the, the stakes are so low. You just don't care. Like I said, I'd rather watch Sleepaway Camp 2 a thousand times than ever watch this movie again, because at least I know what I'm in for there. I know what I'm in for with this one now, and I'm not happy with it, ultimately. Just very dull, very slow. And like Mike said, you know, we are fans, for the most part, we're fans of slow burns. I adore slow burns. My number one movie of this year is St. Maud, one of the slowest fucking movies we got this year. But I absolutely adore that film. That film is a fucking Oscar winner compared to this thing that we just watched. I, I just, like I said, even though you could make the argument that more happens in this film, it's just so uninteresting. And for St. Maud, a movie that's dominated with only with two major characters, they were both so interesting, you know, so v watchable as far as like film characters. It, it, it's just night and day between those two. Um we were, you know, we brought up the dead and the uh, the dark and the wicked when we were talking about antlers and how, you know, the drama worked more in one than it did for the other, at least for me and Don. And it's kind of the same thing with this one. Like, I'd rather watch Last Night in Soho a thousand times before I watch this one again, because that one has all the style and then some, but yet still has interesting characters, likable characters and an interesting story that went somewhere I didn't expect it to go. So, yeah. This is just night and day between last week and this week. Uh, you know, I, I, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I hate shitting on people's art because ultimately somebody bled, somebody sweat, somebody cried for this movie. And I appreciate that. I appreciate how difficult it is to make a film. And I try as hard as I can not to shit on these movies, but I kind of have to with this movie. I feel like it's my job to make sure that anyone listening to this knows what you're in for and to avoid it at all costs. Like, I can't recommend this to slow burn fans. I can't recommend this to vampire fans. I can't recommend this to any kind of horror movie fan. And I would never recommend this to a drama fan because a drama fan is used to way better storytelling and performances and things like that. So, yeah, I, I don't know what else we could say about this movie other than spoiling it, which, again, not a whole hell of a lot to spoil. <laughs> not much of a story. Yeah, I guess it's time for that, for whatever we got for that. Part. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So final spoiler warning. If you haven't watched Dead and the Beautiful or the uh, Dead and Beautiful on Shudder, you know, go ahead and check it out. If if we haven't already turned you off to it, which if we haven't, we're not doing our job. But, you know. If you're one of those people who's, uh, you know, a masochist and, you know, you kind of want to put yourself through that, then rock They're on. Looking it's... for a new cure for insomnia. Oh, yo, hell yeah. If you make it an hour through this movie late at night, you're a better man than I am. I'll tell you. So let's get into our movie. We've already talked uh, about the basic premise, you know, with the synopsis. 
five we're introduced to five rich kids mason bin ray anastasia alex and lulu lulu is uh basically our main character that we're following throughout the majority of the film they get together at the beginning of the movie uh they decide to go on a trip during that trip uh, they're out kind of in the in the woods uh, jungle kind of setting jungle rainforest whatever you want to call it um, at one point in the evening, their guide disappears, and this odd older gentleman shows up. Now, they all call him a shaman for some reason. I have no idea why they're, why they're calling him a shaman. He has, <laughs> he's not wearing anything that would indicate that he's some kind of, you know, elder, you know, like a village elder or something. He's just a random old guy that just ran into their party. So this guy, literally, he pulls out an empty horn. Like, you know how Vikings would drink? mead out of like a, an empty horn like an elk horn or something he pulls out a horn he cuts his own hand open and lets the blood drip into the horn now he's doing this in front of all these five rich kids and they're all just standing there kind of staring in disbelief like no one's actually doing or saying much of anything so like i said this man cuts his hand puts the blood inside the uh, the empty horn and then he pulls out a little pouch of some kind of powder we're not uh, you know again we're not told what it is he puts he mixes his blood with the powder in the horn and suddenly it starts like bubbling like you know smoke is coming out of it like a like a cauldron a witch's cauldron if you will and then without really much uh what's the word i'm looking for like they, they, without much egging on he puts the horn up to all five of their faces and they all individually inhale almost like it's a bong. They inhale some of the smoke that's coming out of, of the horn. Uh, the, the evening keeps going. They get a little stoned. That's what they think. They think that it's some kind of drug, uh, you know, some kind of jungle drug like a uh, Yapo or something from Brazil um, or Yopo, excuse me. It's Yopo. Um, anyway, they end up dancing, you know, they have some cool, there's some cool cinematography during this scene with some slow motion, like dancing. And, you know, they all get naked at one point, including the older man, the shaman guy, that they're all just butt naked for no reason. And then the scene fades out and it's the next morning. They wake up and all five of them have vampire fangs. Um, they all act surprised. They don't know what's going on. Obviously, there's accusations of, you know, did you do this to us? Did, you know, who did this? Blah, blah, blah. Then they realize that the quote unquote shaman from the night before is dead on the ground. And guess what? He's got two puncture wounds on his neck. Um, so obviously these uh, they, they kind of put two and two together and they're like, oh, shit, this guy's dead. He's got puncture wounds. We all have vampire fangs. We don't remember what happened last night. We must be vampires. And they all accept it fairly easily, too. It, th there's there's no period of denial like anybody's like no no that, that can't be what's happening no literally they're all like ah shit we're vampires you know very dry and just unappealing in general the movie kind of goes along after that they you know they try to figure out what they're gonna do because obviously these are all billionaires it's not like they could really you know disappear and suddenly not be the socialites that they have been for the last however many years so they end up going to one of their penthouses that's being that's unoccupied right now. Um, I believe that's been Ray's um, parents penthouse uh, in downtown Taiwan. They're hiding out there basically because they're they're scared of the sun. They think that they've become vampires, so they don't want to go out in the sun. 
slowly as the movie goes along, we start to see all the vampire tropes be subverted. So in other words, one of them takes a chance and goes out into the sun and nothing happens. And then finally, you know, for the rest of the movie, all five of them are out in the daylight, no problem, no issues, you know, no pain, no discomfort, no nothing. And then on their second night of being a vampire, they somehow are able to get some blood from a guy without killing him. Uh, the two girls, who are very attractive women, um, kind of seduce the guy. And then the other three guys come in kind of acting almost like they're Yakuza or some kind of, you know, organized crime mafia type thing. And they tell the guy, well, if you want to keep going with what's going on right now, we're going to need some blood. We need to do a blood test on you. They kind of frame it around STDs. They're like, well, you know, these girls work a lot. We need to make sure that the guys that they're with are clean. So we're going to need a blood sample from you. So the guy somehow agrees to it, which I don't know what the hell. That guy must have been really goddamn horny to give up blood to get sex. But whatever. Yeah. Who who, <laughs> who walks around with just blood test kits? Like, OK, exactly. It's just, I can't believe the guy actually believed it. But there it is. So they they end up getting like this wine glass that that's only partially filled with blood. Uh, they were able to get like a syringe full from this guy. And then there's a scene where they kind of take turns taking a sip of the blood. This is like their experiment. They decide, um, you know, this this is going to be our way of deciding if we are vampires or not. So they all take a tiny sip of the blood. They pass around the wine glass. They all take a tiny sip of the blood and they all seem to enjoy it. One of them, especially um, Bin Ray. Bin Ray actually like really enjoys it, actually calls it sweet, um, says that it's kind of sweet. Uh, remember that line because it comes back later. Um, so, yeah, at this point now they have decided, well, shit, we're vampires. But obviously um, Lulu and Mason are kind of standoffish about wanting to go kill. Like they don't want to just kill people, random people, just to suck their blood because they have a new addiction. Um, so at this point, I started to think that we were going towards a vampires with morals uh, type storyline, which we've seen before. We've seen it with vampires. We've seen it with um, werewolves. We've even if anybody watched Dexter, you could kind of say that same thing. Dexter has his dark passenger that he can't control, but he controls it by not killing innocent people. He only kills other serial killers. So so this is a story that I that we've seen before and done way better as it turns out, that wasn't really what they were going for. Um, as the movie goes along, like I said, Ben Ray is very into being a vampire. He wants he starts stalking this very attractive Asian woman who's running like a like a cigarette stand or some kind of retail stand, like a kiosk on the streets of Taiwan. He stalks her for a little while. Uh, we see him as she closes up the shop the following morning. We see him follow her out. And then the very next scene, we see that she is tied up in the penthouse. But she's still alive and untouched. She hasn't, you know, no one. Apparently, Ben Ray is like saving her. Like he, he's like a generous vampire, apparently, because <laughs> he wants to uh, he wants everyone to kind of partake in this girl. Um, Lulu is the first one to come back to the penthouse and see what is happening. She is adamant that he cannot kill. You know, we're, that's not what we're going to do. We're not going to go around just killing random people to drink blood. This is kind of the first red flag of why does Anna, why is she so adamant about Ben Ray not going out and doing what vampires do? I mean, it's second nature, ultimately. Imagine being a creature that only one thing in the entire world tastes good to you. 
literally only one thing, you're going to do whatever you can to get that one thing. If if blood is the only thing that a vampire can ingest, they're going to do, uh, you know, just by nature, what they have to do to get that blood. But Anna was like against it the entire time. Like, uh, like about halfway through the movie, I'm thinking Ben Ray is the only one who's actually moderately realistic here because he's the only one who really like wants to be a vampire and like wants to start, you know, living that lifestyle, but nobody else did. And yeah, the red flag there is like, I don't, you know, it's kind of hard to understand, I guess. Um, but then as the movie goes along, we get some more set pieces, you know, with um, eventually Bin Ray again goes and gets uh, what ends up happening with that girl is they end up releasing her. They end up letting her go. They end up making her, they end up paying her off. Obviously they're all rich. So they pay her off to silence her. Um, basically we don't see that scene, but Aunt, uh, Lulu explains it later on that. Yeah, we had to pay this girl off to shut her up. Hush money. I think she calls it exactly. And, but then later in the film, she's back. She's back in the, uh, in the penthouse, but this time she's dead. Her eyes are open and she's just out cold uh, we see Mason come into the room and say she's dead. She was dead when I get when I got here. Um, Alex is up on the roof. I think Alex killed. Or yeah, wait, not Alex. Yeah, Alex actually. Uh, I'm sorry. Um, so Alex is the one who's going crazy, and uh, they basically go up to the roof where he is, and they have a little bit of a confrontation. Ends up turning into a little bit of a fist fight. Um, Lulu gets pushed back into the building and the door to the roof is closed. And then we hear a scuffle. We hear the two guys kind of throwing punches, throwing some stuff around. One of them gets slammed up against the door, blah, blah, blah. Then suddenly, uh, it goes silent. The door opens and it's Mason. It's our, it's our quote unquote, good vampire. <laughs> uh, Mason comes in, he closes the door behind him and says, I think Alex has lost it. He's off the deep end. He's, you know. He's pretty much bought into this lifestyle. At that point, uh, uh, Lulu and Mason leave. They decide to leave the penthouse because they don't want to be around uh, Alex anymore. But while they're down on the street, uh, one of them looks up or, or no, a uh, Alex actually sends Mason a text telling him to look up. And then when they both, when uh, Lulu and Mason both look up, uh, to the building that they were just in, we see Alex's body fall. So Alex, for some reason, has decided to commit suicide. Um, at this point, uh, Lulu obviously is very, you know, distraught. She's blaming herself because this is where we get our first twist reveal. We basically get a scene going back to the night in question, the night in the jungle. And what we see is we see surgeons and an operating table where uh, all of where all of our rich kids are having fangs surgically implanted into their mouths. So yeah, that's our reveal, folks. They are not vampires in any fucking way. Mm -hmm. Literally, this yeah. was. I don't know if you want to call this a prank or a social experiment or whatever, but Anna, for whatever reason, I think because of Anna's loneliness, because they mentioned multiple times throughout the movie how her father died when she was very young, her mother had died even younger. Um, she basically only grew up with her dad, but then when her dad died, she became even more sullen and withdrawn. Um, so why she decided to do this practical joke or social experiment, whatever you want to call it, 
we don't really get a full explanation depending on how you interpret the final scene, but we'll get to that. So at this point, uh, Lulu and Mason believe that Alex has killed himself because he thought he was a vampire, but that nobody was going to allow him to live the vampire lifestyle that he wanted to live. And we end up going to a beach. And while we're at the beach, Alex, uh, excuse me, Mason and Lulu end up having sex in what is one of the most pointless and boring sex scenes I've ever had the displeasure of watching. This sec, this love scene brings the entire movie to a halt, a screeching halt, and the movie was only going a few miles an hour as it was. So it wasn't even doing very much, and they bring the entire festivities to a halt so that we could see this love scene that is just fucking pointless. Yeah, it's pretty to look at. They're on a beach. You know, they're naked. They've got sand all over them, blah, blah, blah. It's very sensual. But in the context of this movie... It's the least intimate sex scene I've seen in years. Valid. (laughs) Very, very valid. (laughs) When I watched it, I almost completely forgot that they were interested in each other. They never acted it. Yeah, that's the thing, too, is like... Like early in the movie, they kind of imply that Alex and Lulu maybe had some kind of past, a romantic past, but that ends up just kind of going by the wayside. And then suddenly Mason and Lulu have a scene in the pool at the penthouse where they kind of get close for the first time. And then, of course, the beach scene where they actually full on have sex. But again, like I said, pointless and boring, (laughs) as most of this movie is. So anyway, after the sex scene. Uh, Mason walks Lulu into a cave where there's some kind of festivity going on. There, uh, I wouldn't go so far as to say a party, but there's there's a woman chanting in in a foreign language, in a native language, and you know there's there's cool lighting and stuff outside, so it kind of looks like it was set up by all these rich kids. They then walk into, uh, you know, Mason and Lulu walk into the cave. As they're walking into the cave, they're seeing, like, you know, the friends that we we know of, Ben Ray, Anastasia. Uh, But then when they get to the back of the cave, there's fucking Alex, alive and well. And he's holding an Alex dummy. Like, he actually had, like, a life-size Alex dummy. And apparently that's what was thrown off the roof in that, uh, that last scene. And... Then this is where we get our second twist of the film, and that is that how many how many how many days was that beach like the next day? Because otherwise, I'm like, how would it have not been discovered that he didn't actually die? I think. Like, oh no, yeah, it. I think that was the same day. Yeah, I, I think they literally okay. left from the penthouse to the beach. Oh, yeah, that was okay. the way I thought. I thought that that was like a way of trying to like cope with the grief, but yeah. It, yeah um, <laughs> By the way, who the fuck has sex? a few hours after one of their best friends commits suicide. I mean, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, especially when they seem that broken up about it. Yeah, exactly. Which, like I said, there's red flags all over this movie that they are not vampires. Like I said, going out into the sun, not having an over um, an overly abundant desire for blood. Like, Alex is the only one who seems to actually want blood. The other four are just like, meh, whatever, you know? Um, so, yeah, like I said, there's red flags all throughout this movie that they're not vampires. So then when we get the reveal that they're not, it's not a surprise in any way, shape, or form. It's like, oh, well, that's kind of what I figured, you know? 
on top of the fact that their fangs were always visible. And how many cinematic vampire universes do you remember where the fangs are always out? Usually they're retractable in some way. I know you've got like Salem's Lot and there are examples where the, the fangs are always out. But for the most part, especially in modern vampire films, they tend to be retractable. So the fact that they, they were always out, even when they were just speaking to normal people, they had to be careful how hard, how wide they smiled because they would be showing off the fangs. And then, you know, of course, people would start making stupid accusations. And so, of course, you get the uh, mask reveal that they have to wear that. So that kind of helps with that. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, oh, oh, and yeah, this is a very pandemic movie. There are face masks all over this movie. There's a couple of scenes. There's one scene on a city bus where everybody on the bus is wearing a mask except uh, our two stars, Mason and Lulu, literally that's right after Alex's uh, suicide, I believe they're they're literally on a city bus and everyone on the bus is wearing a mask. So it's like, yeah, you're not really hiding that this is a pandemic movie, guys. And then throughout the film, you know, they're wearing masks, face masks again in the film. It's in the context of hiding their fangs. But of course, we know what's actually going on in the world in 2020 and 2021. So. Um, so, yeah, like I said, we get our second reveal, which is that the friends are aware that they are not vampires. Obviously, we see Alex still alive. They don't really give us much information on whether the friends knew before uh, the actual night in the jungle or if they found out later how they found out. Like, there, there's just no information given. It's very ambiguous. But the point is, the friends did figure out that the fangs aren't real and that this was a practical joke by Lulu. Or, like I said, practical joke, social experiment. Now, at this point, after we get that reveal, we get a little bit of a flashback showing Lulu as a child with her father. And what we see, it's a very short scene, but what we see is almost like a protest. People holding up protest signs and things, and they're all calling the girl vampire. Like as the car is driving by trying to get through a crowd of people, they're all like knocking at the window, holding up their signs and pointing at the girl vampire. You're a vampire. So. See, I thought they were calling her dad a vampire and they were because he's in the car, too. And I thought the whole vampire thing was a metaphor for society viewing the uber wealthy as vampires on society, basically sucking everyone dry of resources and wealth in order to maintain their richness. Because then we get that, we I get that line in the valid, cave. I would say that's valid if it weren't for the final shot of the film. Well, <laughs> we'll get to that in a sec. Yeah, yeah, but we'll there's the other there's other line in the cave where after we get our reveal about like, oh, yeah, it was all like a put on. Well, it, first it's like, is this like a prank? Is it like an April Fool's type situation? Is this a ritual? But then like towards the end of that scene, before we get to the final, final shot, they say like, oh, you know, um, we are like the next generation of wealth. And the one guy says, let's do better than our parents. And there's two ways to take that. Either A, let's be even more rich and successful, which is like the more glib interpretation. But the other interpretation is like, yeah, we were born into the wealth, but let's try to be more responsible with the wealth and try to do more good with it. So I guess you could take it either way. That uh, that second one is a lot harder to swallow because of how terrible these people are. 
No one has any civility or humanity in any way. Not any of these five characters. It doesn't like if they were so interested in social justice issues and doing more like being a better billionaire in the sense that you're helping the people around you as well as not just yourself they would have said something throughout the movie. Like maybe one of them would have had like a rainforest thing where oh, we got to save the rainforest or another one could have been vegan or something where she's like, or he or she is like, oh, I don't kill animals or I don't wear leather or whatever the case may be. But at no point in this movie does any of our five main characters do anything positive in any way, shape or form. So I'm, you know, uh, you know, I'm not saying you're wrong. Uh, both of your, you know, theories are valid, but I feel like the first one is more valid, especially with. Uh, um, oh, yeah, I was going to say, yeah, I lean more towards yeah that one. I was just saying it's kind of open only because then, sure, then they sure. went through the whole song and dance of like, you know, the tribe being wiped out. Like, I don't know. This movie tries to throw in so many like little pieces of dialogue that but they never follow up on anything and they never are really yep. concise about these people other than they're you know they all come off as typical like second third or in the one guy's case like multi-generational wealth where they mm. weren't the ones that did anything to accumulate it they're just the fruits of the labor like well because yep. my grandparents or great-grandparents invented something and got so rich that it's now trickled down to like several generations later where i just get to uh, enjoy the wealth that was created by my grandparents basically sure um that's you know that's what the that's the paper thin characters yeah the guy. there's just not a lot else to them and there's no real arc and i thought that if, and this is just me trying to give the movie a benefit of the doubt which it really doesn't deserve but mm -hmm. it's it's almost to me that it's trying to say that they are the true vampires of society without being literal vampires because they're walking around kind of taking advantage of society without literally killing people. But in a way, it's a drag on society to maintain like their wealth. And at, at what expense is it? That's a whole lot of commentary yeah. to with very little in this movie. I just felt that's what they were tr like in a perfect world. The movie would have much would have got that message across much better oh, yeah. i'm just trying to say maybe what they're trying to go for did they do it in a good way not at all <laughs> i was just trying to make yeah. sense of the little bits that we get regarding yeah. that, that ultimately you 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 said it right the first time this movie doesn't deserve us looking into its social commentary because it was done so poorly because these characters are all so easily hateable and just you know, easy to push them aside as far as like from a movie viewer standpoint, I just didn't care. And I think most people walk away not caring. I mean, whatever kind of message David Verbeek was trying to do, um, not only did he fail, but he, he just buried his message underneath so much style that, that you know, you, you can't really like poor Mike has to delve through multiple layers even to get the social commentary that he got out of it. I myself hated this movie so much. I didn't feel the need to even take the time. Like you got, you got, yeah, you, know I, me. you know, I, I, I delve deep. I look into my movies. I watch them multiple times. I look for themes, Easter eggs, blah, blah, blah. But this movie was such a drag and such an unentertaining experience that I didn't feel the need to even bother watching any other reviews or maybe reading up on, you know, um, 
what the filmmaker was trying to go for. Like I, I try, I try to do as much research as I can for the weekly show. It, it, it never ends up being enough, but like I yeah. said, this movie was just so poorly done that I didn't feel the need to do it, which is kind of nice because yeah, it almost made it, made it like I had a second week off. <laughs> yeah. I, what really, the only reason I kind of went down that road is because of that scene, you know, where the protesters are calling the people in the car, a vampire or vampires. And sure. I was like, there's no, there's no, there's absolutely no reason at that point for them to think they're literal vampires. So I was like, well, what would they mean by, that? you know, kind of like, you know, people refer to like capitalist fat cats as capitalist pigs or fat cats. They're not literally calling them those animals. That's just a caricature of like very wealthy, you know, people and what they do to maintain the wealth. So in that sense, I thought that's, that's kind of what the movie was saying as vampires, but it, it's still so sloppy because it's like, well, what I still don't understand. I'm, like I'm trying to make sense of the purpose still of what this prank or exercise in, I don't know, self-awareness, almost like them trying to say like this. Yeah, I'm, not sure vampires. Like, yep. I'm not even yeah, sure it's worth the I'm not even sure. Yeah, that's the thing. The it's not worth it. <laughs> I'm not I didn't sure. watch like any explanation videos or I didn't even read any reviews. It's just all just me trying to pull from little oh. bits of scenes. Oh, uh, by the way, um, uh, that scene just played. I always have the movies I review playing in the background here. Um, mm -hmm. One of the translations was she's a vampire. So one of the signs or either one of the signs or one of the people chanting actually said she's a vampire. So they are definitely accusing yeah, weird. girl. Yeah, which I mean, you're yeah, because I mean, like, I don't, I don't understand why would they would literally think she was a, you know. Well, that's the thing. We get so little back information. Maybe there were extenuating circumstances from her childhood that made the local people think she was a vampire. Uh, you, I don't know. Yeah, maybe you should have put that in the movie. <laughs> mm -hmm. exactly. I don't know because I can understand. I can understand why they would refer to her dad because he's obviously sure. like some type of billionaire and they could be mad at whatever yeah. reason. He, yeah, he would but make a lot of hers, I don't. Oh, that's absolutely And valid. he killed himself, Definitely. right? He killed himself. And the fact that he killed himself makes me think that, okay, there was some type of guilt and maybe he acknowledged like his bad, you know, handling of acquiring uh -huh. wealth. So he felt guilty and killed himself. Why you would say the girl's a vampire, I have no idea, you know? Like I said, I, I just think they knew something we didn't as the audience. You know, uh, like I said, this movie is missing a lot. Like this movie could have been a solid two hours and it still would have felt, you know, incomplete. You know, there there's so don't, much missing. Don't give them any ideas. Oh, hell no. We don't I, need a director's cut. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hey, you can make one. I ain't watching it. <laughs> but the point is, um, there are so many dangling plot points and ignored plot points in this movie that, you know, you're left a little confused. Anyway. We haven't even talked about the final scene yet. Um, after they leave the party, after Lulu and Mason leave the party, you know, he says, you know, I'll drive you back to the city. And then they just kind of have a quiet walk down the beach. And then just out of nowhere, Lulu attacks Mason, biting him on the neck and the movie fades to black. So the question is, was Lulu actually a vampire? And she was trying to get her friends to kind of feel what she goes through. I mean, cause we never see Lulu smile before the jungle thing. So it's quite conceivable that she had the fangs the entire time. Cause during that scene where we get the reveal that it was all surgery, that they were surgically implanted, 
we don't see her getting fangs implanted, just the other four. So, I mean, that's one interpretation that Lulu actually is a vampire and that this was kind of her way because she lost her father because Mason makes the point earlier in the film that after you lost your father, it seemed like you hated being rich and you even started to kind of hate other rich kids too. Like you started to alienate yourself a little bit. So I guess you can make the interpretation that she just wanted more friends or, at the yeah. or, you know, I, I, I took that as like shame, shame sure. for maybe, maybe, you know, you look into, cause you know, that happens where like, several generate the next generations kind of look into like their family's history and they're like oh it's not so good but again this film is so light on details or explanation or any type of background that we just kind of have to almost guess ourselves ah exactly i mean jesus we've already talked about this movie way more than i thought we would for for such a hollow story (laughs) you know but it, there's just so much to hate about this story, you know? I It's it's one thing when a movie is hateable all around, like the technical aspects, the direction, everything about it is hateable. But this, it's one of those movies that, you know, we, we see them a lot more nowadays than we did in like the 80s or whatever, where the, the movies are visually beautiful. They, they're edited beautifully. They have great scores, you know, good cinematography. But then the story shit. You know, we see that more often today than ever in horror. And this is just another example of that. This is, I mean, to me, this is now going to be my go-to when somebody says style over substance. This is it. No more the Neon Demon. No more the Witch. You know, no more Suspiria. It is absolutely 100% dead and beautiful. This is all style, no substance. And it's really unfortunate. Because like I said, at the very, very bare bones of it, they have a decent story. Or at least a decent concept, you know, um, all the places that this story could have gone to after they woke up, um, you know, from the ceremony with fangs in their mouth, all the cool and different places that this movie could have gone. And they were all subverted to try to tell some kind of morality tale, which I, or at least I think it's a morality tale. I'm still not 100 percent sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> If, I mean, if anyone listening to this right now thinks they have a really good explanation for this movie, by all means, hit us up on Facebook or Twitter and just give us your thoughts. Because, I, like I said, this movie feels so hollow to me that it feels like an incomplete movie, in all honesty. Um, it, it feels, feels like, like, a rough, feels like a first draft more, I would say. Ooh, it thank doesn't you. Feel like- yeah. It doesn't feel incomplete. It feels like a first draft that they just rushed out to get somebody to get somebody working. Yeah, that that's a great way to put it. It feels rushed. It feels incomplete. Um, it feels like a first time movie, even though this technically isn't his first movie, David Verbeek. It's like its third or fourth feature. But yeah, uh, like I said, none of the other ones are really of note. They They all seem to be kind of the same thing, kind of dark thrillers with an Asian tinge to them. Um, the guy must, I mean, he must live in China or, or at least near there. Cause like I said, all of his movies are like that. So, but yeah, unfortunate, um, for something that looked this good in the trailer, um, which I watched after the film, of course, as I usually do, but for something that looked this good in the trailer to just end up being an incredibly boring journey is just so disappointing. I I'd rather watch a bad movie than a boring movie any day of the week, literally, I've already brought up like Sleepaway Camp 2 or 3 or whatever, because ultimately bad movies can still be entertaining. Don knows this very well, and I know this also. But yeah, it's just a bad I have a whole movie. website devoted to it. 
There you go. <laughs> a bad movie can be entertaining. A boring movie can never be entertaining. So that's kind of the unfortunate thing. It's kind of like the professional wrestler thing. It's great to be cheered or booed. As long as you're getting a reaction from the crowd, that's great. If you come out as a WWE or whatever wrestler and the crowd does nothing, you're probably getting fired the next week because you're not eliciting any kind of response. And like I said, that's even worse. Good, bad is okay. Boring, never, ever okay, especially in horror. I mean, this is a a genre that's built on the fantastical, on exciting things, on dark and fearful scenarios. And this movie is none of those, unfortunately. So, yeah, cut me off here because I'm just going to rant for like another half hour on how much I hate this movie if you don't. Uh, All right. Well, yeah, (laughs) let's... Let's end it there. I think we all set our piece on it. So, Venom, uh, why don't you let everyone know where else they can hear you at? All right. Episode three of No More Room in Hell presents Creature Comforts was just recorded. I am in the editing process now. As I mentioned last week, we will be looking at 1954's Them with our first guest on the show, Bo Ransdell from Legion Podcasts. Um, ended up being a really fun show, a quickie didn't take that long. So, um, that'll be fun. It'd be a quick edit. Uh, that should be available. Um, I would say either the weekend before Thanksgiving or maybe, you know, sometime in that period before Thanksgiving, by the time I get to editing it and everything. So look out for that. Um, let's see on it's not horror. Okay. We finally had our return episode after taking October off and we looked at the 1981 fantasy film dragon slayer, uh, a very underrated, um, uh, fantasy film from the early eighties. Uh, we, like I said, it was a first time watch for most of the people on the show. It absolutely is not for me. Uh, I actually love that film. Spoiler. Uh, I have the poster up on my wall right now, uh, one of the uh, limited edition posters that they put out a few years back. So I am a big fan. So check out that. That episode will probably be available early next week sometime on Dark Discussions. And then our other our other shows haven't really done a new episode lately. Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space. You know, we recorded that episode last month. It will be released sometime this month if everything goes as planned. And, uh, you know, Hopefully we'll have at least one more episode of Underwater Kaiju before the new year. Um, If not, then we'll see you in the new year. But that show is definitely still active. Um, Let's see. What else do I have on uh, the main show? Of course, still have our our quote unquote Halloween episode that was released on November 2nd. Um, where we looked at a couple of underappreciated witch films, 1972's Season of the Witch and 2013's uh witching and bitching uh which i fucking love that movie another spoiler by the way um so yeah otherwise none of my other things have recorded anything lately i did do a guest spot on bite Size cinema with rj mccready and we looked at uh child's play the original child's play a film that i've never had the opportunity to review so that was really fun um I believe that episode is currently available on Legion Podcast, so check that out. And then my next guest spot will be another appearance on Bo Ransdell's Dark Parade. 
uh, I will be looking at uh, what is my favorite. And that's kind of funny that uh, we're bringing this up. Uh, we're actually going to be talking about my favorite vampire movie of all time. And that is Let the Right One In. I know it's kind of an odd choice for favorite vampire movie. But if you tune into that episode, you will find out why I think it's the best vampire movie ever made. And it, it's funny that we bring that up right after uh, what could be one of the worst vampire movies ever made. I was just about <laughs> to make that joke. Yeah, <laughs> I beat you to it. Uh, and yeah, that's it for me, Mike. <laughs> All right, Don, how about you? Um, yeah, uh, I don't have much new to report. Uh, Venom's covered uh, Creature Comforts and No More Room in Hell. Uh, sorry, Underwater Kaiju. Damn it. Yeah. Um, yeah, look for my uh, appearance on uh, Dark Parade. I covered um, the Night of the Demons remake on uh, that show with Bo, which uh, should be out probably the last week of November. Um, I'm not sure what his schedule is. I know he just released two. I'm assuming three is coming the week you'll hear this. And then the uh, part four should be on uh, the last of the last week of the month. So. Mm-hmm. Stay look out for that one. And I know I've said this a couple of times, but I'm still waiting around for a secret guest spot to uh, get everything in order. So um, I'll have more details with that as they they appear. So, yeah, not much for me. All right, cool. Um, as far as me, I'm trying to think. I don't think I've done anything on the side since the last episode of Fresh Cut. So... You already know where to find me, um, according to Venom. So, yeah, just check out all those shows. And what else? Uh, next episode. So this week, I think there's a couple things coming out, right? Isn't that Black Friday movie? I, I'm not getting – I don't think I'm getting any showings here, but I thought it was VOD as well. Like, I thought it was a simultaneous – or it's yeah, one of those I, ones I, where I, it's, like, limited, and then two days later it hits VOD or something like that. Possibly. Yeah. No, I, I heard simultaneous. I think I think I heard that with that one. Okay. And then also isn't Ghostbusters this week? Ghostbusters is definitely this week, yes. Okay. So um, yeah, we have uh, choices. <laughs> we'll see. I mean, I can't imagine Ghostbusters is gonna be much horror, but Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Never- I, I've never considered Ghostbusters horror either, but it seems like lots of horror podcasts. I mean, it's a horror comedy or a comedy horror, really. It's more comedy than horror. But I mean, anything involving ghosts, if you look at Frighteners as a horror comedy, then you kind of have to look at Ghostbusters as one as well. Yeah, but then you can also make the argument so is Casper, so. Oh, God. God. Why did you bring that up? I hate it, too. If you're going to make that argument, so is Casper. Oh, God. My soul just died a little bit, I think. God damn it. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, um, I mean, I'm not against Ghostbusters, obviously. I will absolutely be there to watch it. But, you know, if something else comes up that looks interesting, I'm I'm open. You know, unfortunately, I picked this week's um, spectacular film. So I, I think I'm going to lay low for the next one. <laughs> I'll, let you, I'll let you guys pick the bad movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll definitely figure something out. I mean, there is no shortage of movies that we have yet to cover on fresh cuts so i know it's funny even without missing pretty much any weeks uh this year there's still so many that we haven't covered and uh yeah 
All right. Well, with that said, thanks everyone for listening to the new episode. We should be back in a week's time. The end of the year is coming up fast, so we gotta start getting even more watches in. So, <laughs> um, catch y'all next week, everyone. Let's say bye. Adios. <laughs> Peace.